The reading today is from Acts chapter 6, commencing at verse 8 and going through to chapter 7, verse 1, and concerns the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? There follows Stephen's defence in which he goes through the history of Israel, pointing out that it was actually Israel who continually rejected God, and yet God continued to show patience and mercy towards them. We continue in verse 44 of chapter 7, uh, continuing through to chapter 8, verse 1. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors, under Joshua, (coughs) brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God had driven out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestor did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man called Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. May God add his blessing to that reading from his word. Thanks very much, Tom. Um, well, let's, uh, let's pray as we uh, come to God's word. Father God, we do pray that your spirit who, who filled your, your servant Stephen would fill us this morning. That through him we would be able to see the glory of Christ. And we would reflect that glory in the obedience of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on this Remembrance Sunday, we've been remembering the many men and women who gave their lives in various world wars so that we can enjoy freedom. War is a sad fact of human life. And sadly, the wars, uh, the deaths didn't finish at the end of World War I or even World War II. They've carried on year after year since then in various conflicts around the world. Some have died to defend their freedom and the freedom of others. There are also many Christians who have died out of loyalty to their Lord. Because even when faced with death, they were unwilling to deny Jesus Christ. Canon uh, Andrew White, coming up on the screen here, the vicar of um, Baghdad, described in an interview in uh, 2014 some of the atrocities that ISIS committed as they came into Iraq and tried to wipe out the, uh, the Christians' And he mentioned one particular instance where they tried to uh, force four children to follow Muhammad. And the children said, no, we love Jesus. We've always loved Jesus. We've always followed Jesus. Jesus has always been with us. And they lost their lives as a result. Well, this morning we're looking at the story of the first Christian martyr. First of many, because uh, all by one of the apostles... Uh, lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and many of the early church did as well in that first century AD. And when we read this story of Stephen, um, what comes through is not just that this was a brave man, 
prepared to stand up against the, the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. But this was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Have a look back at chapter 6 and the description of Stephen there, the end of chapter 6. He was, first of all, one of those back in verse 3, chosen who was full of the Spirit and wisdom. He's described in verse 5 as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power who performed great wonders and signs among the people. And the question is, what actually did it mean for Stephen to be full of the Spirit? What difference did that make to him? What difference might it make to us today if we were continually filled with the Spirit? Well, before we come on to that, let's just remind ourselves of what is going on here. What is actually the the incident that is taking place? Well, in verse 8 of chapter 6, we were told that Stephen had been performing great wonders and signs among the people. In the process, he set up a bit of opposition from among the, the Jews. They try and argue with him. But we're told that they are out of their depth because Stephen speaks with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so just like today, if you can't get your own way honestly, um, they, they indulge in a, a dirty tricks campaign. They get others to claim that they had heard Stephen blaspheming against Moses and against God. As a result, Stephen is seized. He's brought before the Sanhedrin, where the following charges are read out in verse 14. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So Stephen is on trial for opposing Moses and the law and God and his temple. And the amazing thing is that we're told in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. However much they might have wanted to get rid of him, they couldn't deny the fact there was something very different about Stephen. The high priest asks them, are these charges true? And at that point, Stephen begins his own defense. And it's a, a strange defense because he starts to give a potted history of Israel, starting with the promises to Abraham, um, then an account of Joseph and the, the Israelites coming to, to Egypt. Spends a long time talking about Moses and how Israel was uh, delivered from slavery in Egypt. Before closing with a brief reference to Joshua to David and to Solomon. And the most surprising thing is as Stephen draws all this to a conclusion in verse 51 of chapter 7, it's no longer a defense speech. It's actually become a prosecution speech. And the Jewish leaders are the ones who are being accused. And so Stephen says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised you are just like your ancestors you always resist the holy spirit was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you have betrayed and murdered him 
you who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. Stephen had been charged with speaking against the law on the temple, but his defense in history has shown that the opposite is true. It's the people of Israel who have continually rebelled against God and resisted the Holy Spirit. As they persecuted God's prophets, they killed his son, and now they're about to kill a man full of the Holy Spirit. They are the ones who should be on trial, not Stephen. Now, this isn't a desperate defense to ensure Stephen's freedom. This is Stephen just speaking passionately to uphold God's name, to uphold the truth. And what he shows during the course of his defense are different aspects of what it means to be full of the Spirit. The first thing he does through this history of Israel is to point to God's patience and mercy in the face of people's rebelliousness. He starts with the story of Abraham. God's mercy begins with choosing Abraham out of all the peoples on the earth to inherit the promised land. Abraham became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs, the, leader of the, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. But they were jealous of Joseph. They sold him into slavery in Egypt. In short, they resisted the will of God. But of course, that didn't stop God. He was with Joseph. He rescued him and made him leader over Egypt. God was patient. God was merciful. Then we have the raising up of Moses, the one who God had chosen to rescue his people, to fulfill his promise to Abraham by bringing his people into the promised land. But Israel rejected his leadership and he had to flee. Forty years later, God calls Moses again to do the task that he's given him. But again, even though God did deliver them from slavery in Egypt, we're told in verse 39, Stephen says, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. (coughs) They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. For many, God's patience there came to an end. We are told in verse 42, God turned away from them. He gave them over to the worship of sun, moon and stars. And it's a stark warning in the midst of reading about God's mercy that his patience won't last forever. If we continually reject God, he will reject us. He will allow us to go the way that our hearts desire. But the great news in the history of Israel is that his mercy does continue. He does bring his people into the promised land. And that brings us on in verse 48 to the accusation made against Stephen about the the temple. The temple which Solomon built to provide a dwelling place for God. And this is the heart of Stephen's accusation against the Jewish leaders. Have a look at verse 48 of chapter 7. It was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? 
Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Back in verse 41, we were told that the Israelites reveled in what their own hands had made. And here we're told the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. The crucial sin of many in Israel was that they looked to what they had achieved with their own hands for their fulfillment, for their sense of purpose. They were trying to to control God, trying to put him in a temple, package him into a set of rules and regulations which they could keep and then feel good about themselves. Trying to reduce him to their size, to a man-made size. And the trouble is that God cannot dwell with a sinful people. He cannot be reduced to the size of people. The people were trying to do all the right things, but their hearts, we're told, were far from him. It needed a more drastic solution, a solution which only God could provide and which he did provide through Jesus. Jesus had said during his ministry on earth, he said, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another, not made with hands. And what he meant by that was that the reconciliation of people and God wouldn't happen in a place, in a building, but in a person, in Jesus Christ himself. And so in future, as Jesus told the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, this is what he said to her. He said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. To worship God in truth is to acknowledge that our sin means we are unworthy to come into his presence. We deserve his punishment for our rebellion, But because of God's mercy, he took that punishment for us. And he did that in the death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It was part of God's plan for humankind so we can be made right with him. And Stephen's accusation against the Jewish leaders was they had not understood this. They thought if they carried on with their rituals, they would be good enough. Instead of accepting their sinfulness, and asking God to have mercy on them and grant them his forgiveness. Asking for the gift of the Spirit so they could lead lives uh, that sought to honour him and glorify him and not themselves. And what marked Stephen's life was that his old way of life had been put to death. The Spirit had come in and changed him from within. He didn't care about being seen to be doing the the so-called respectable things in the eyes of people. He just cared about pleasing his Lord. He wanted to think, to speak, and to act like Jesus. When he became a follower of Christ, he didn't somehow build a little extension onto his life and put God in there. No, God took over his whole life. There is only one way of living the Christian life, and it is a radical way. You cannot compartmentalize God into your life. He wants our whole lives. And when he comes in and takes over, it is liberating. Because there's nothing left to fear. 
in life or death. And so Stephen was able to say what he did without worry about the consequences to his life, to his personal safety, which was clearly at risk. Because we're told the members of the Sanhedrin were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. So how does Stephen respond to that? Well, Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God. Stephen is facing death, as we will all do at some point. Some of you will have faced it already and been, been spared. We were not created by God to die. Death is a curse, an enemy that came into the world through sin. But the great news is that death has been swallowed up in victory. It's not able to separate us from the love of Christ. We heard that earlier on, didn't we? as well as he read out from Psalm 103. But also in Romans 8, this is what it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the Spirit, Christ is with us all the time. When things are tough, when we sin or are sinned against, when people reject us, Christ is present in us through his Spirit. And so at that moment when we face death, God will draw near to us if we call out to him. The writer of Psalm 23 knew that in those familiar words which we sang earlier from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stephen needed extraordinary grace to stand up for the truth in the face of death. And he received that through the Spirit. The same spirit we are promised will come to us in our need. The same spirit we are promised in the Bible. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. How exactly does the spirit help Stephen in his hour of need? He allows him to see Jesus. He opens up a window into heaven. Have a look at verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's a lesson that many of us will have learned the hard way and are still learning that in times of distress... Maybe where we're experiencing injustice. Maybe where we're experiencing illness or bereavement. We need to look upwards and not downwards. The Spirit enables us to look constantly at Christ. The alternative is in times of trouble to focus on the, the terrible injustice of a situation, to become inward looking. And the danger of that is it leads to self-pity. And self-pity may help us for a little while, but ultimately it will destroy us. There's no self-pity with Stephen. 
He has his eyes focused on the one who provides hope. A couple of weeks ago, um, on Sunday evening, David and Rita Turner shared some of the um, uh, tough struggles that they've been going through over these last uh, couple of years. And they talked about how easy it is to be led by your feelings or your thoughts. But actually, neither of those is reliable. Instead, it's their faith in Jesus Christ that has been the anchor in their lives, that's kept them firm, that's given them hope, and stopped them from despairing. It's also meant they've been able to have a care and concern about others who are struggling rather than just focusing in on their own problems. The more we focus on God and are filled with his spirit, the more trivial our earthly problems will become. And that's not to say that many of the things that people here are going through are insignificant. But in order not to allow them to take over, we need to keep focused on Christ. Well, Stephen doesn't just see the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, ready to receive him into glory. And he knows that the greatest place that he can be is right there with him. He wants to go to be with him. His work on this earth is finished. He doesn't try and cling on to life. He doesn't say, I've still got all this stuff I need to do for you, God. I'm at the peak of my ministry. Surely you don't want to call me to yourself now. No, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. None of us knows when our time will come. But I hope that we will look forward to be received into Jesus' presence and to rejoice in it. That doesn't mean we spend our whole time thinking about death, but if we know where we're going, if our eternal future is secure, that will help us to be much more fruitful in this life. It will help us as we respond to the trials in this life. We won't be tempted to resort to worry, to self-pity, to to vengeance. We will be able to show grace to those who offend us, knowing that God has already shown us his grace. It means we'll have the courage to follow the Lord's will and not just protect ourselves from hardship and inconvenience. Or finally, to be full of the Spirit means that Stephen is able to be a witness for Christ and to reflect his glory right up to the end of his life. Back in chapter 6, we were told in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In the midst of an evil and ungodly crowd of people who are looking to kill him on the basis of false accusations, Stephen has this amazing grace. There's a great peace, a quietness of spirit, And that was evident to everybody there. And even when it came to people picking up stones and hurling them at him, even in the pain he went through, the injustice he was experiencing, he was able to kneel down and cry, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does it remind you of somebody else at the point of their death? What does Jesus say when he is on the cross? Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The devil wants us in the face of death to deny Christ, 
He wants us to be full of hatred for our oppressors, to show no sign of the love, the holiness, the forgiveness of God. But because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, he did not allow death to have the final word. He was victorious over it. He reflected the glory of Christ. It is the ultimate triumph of mercy. We cannot and we don't need to try and earn the favor of Christ. We cannot take pride in the works of our hands because he has already done everything for us. What we can do is like his servant Stephen, gaze at Christ in wonder, accept our need of his mercy, ask his spirit to fill us so that we may be able to reflect the glory of Christ to a broken world. Let's have a moment of quiet as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper. And let's ask God for forgiveness in our lives where maybe we've trusted in our own works, maybe where we've failed to focus on Christ and his glory, maybe where we've failed to reflect his glory. Let's ask for his forgiveness and ask that his spirit would restore us and make us like him.